Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Carter comes up shooting. Matters podcast number 39, where I am joined as always with Christian Wolfgang Graffin and the sport doctor himself, the Cypriot assassin Gregory Yeroshadis. Fellas, how are you doing today? Not too bad. How are you? Uh, excited for March Madness and Raptors playoffs as well. So it's a very exciting time for basketball. Before we get to this, I just want to mention that we're going to have an uh, opportunity to sit down and chat with Ryerson Rams assistant coach Adil Sahibzada at the end of the podcast. So definitely check that out. He also coaches BTB Prep currently in the OSBA and is also affiliated with several nonprofit organizations related to basketball. Uh, we'll go into nuts and bolts after in the interview. Uh, I want to give a just a very special shout out to Dwayne Wade. Um, obviously, we know the tragedy that went down at Stoneman Douglas High School um, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, the U.S., I guess, Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, did her like standard PR obligation and went to the school and just really didn't do anything. She addressed the issues, but she didn't really have conversation with the kids. Politicking. Really understand. And, and, and what happened afterwards, really the day after, um, there was a kid that unfortunately passed away um, during the unfortunate shooting. And uh, he was a lifelong Dwayne Wade fan. He was actually buried with his Dwayne Wade jersey on. And Dwayne Wade showed up to that school today and just kind of lifted those kids' spirits. And I just want to give a big shout-out to Dwayne Wade, an ambassador of the game, and someone who just uh, who just, just a, a great guy overall. A pleasant surprise at the school. Someone that's welcome. Yeah, actually. yeah, yeah, exactly. Greg's uh, a little bit transfixed on the cell phone right now. <laughs> I'm, just, uh, I'm just tweeting out that first in the East – is going to be playing first in the West on Friday, and American media just doesn't give a shit. Well, let's get back to that in a second. Um, let's roll from the top. So a very impressive week for the Toronto Raptors. Three wins, um, big win against the Wizards on Friday, beat the Hornets on Sunday, and beat the Hawks yesterday. Um, also, very uh, interesting announcement. DeMar DeRozan is the Eastern Conference Player of the Week, the fourth time yeah. he's received this award this season, with 21 points per game and 5.8 assists, shooting, um, I think he's shooting like, what, like 50% or something from the field goal percentage. Yeah, very impressive week for the Raptors. It's a little sliver of optimism coming into playoff time. What do you guys, uh, t- what are your takeaways from this week? Yo, take, a, take a picture, Raptors fans. Just take a picture right now, just wherever you are. Remember this feeling. It may not come again for a long time. Like, the glass is just overflowingly full. 
right? Like like the optimism is there. The 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 Cavs are vulnerable. We're you know statistical uh, uh, locks to make the finals. It's never been a better time to be a Raptors fan. And I hope to God, Brandon. I hope to God, in two years, I won't be looking back on this and saying that was the peak. Well, now that we're two games up on Boston. No, Boston's not catching us. Um, we are thirty and eight at home. It's uh, a crazy record. It's insane, and it's 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 really I think. Remember last year when we faced LeBron in the playoffs, and he was saying how many times that the crowd in Toronto is crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, imagine it's like that when the team in Toronto is actually better than yours as well. Like oh, it's yeah. a scary, scary thing. And it's I what think Chris Bosh was saying exactly right? that so it is earning, a dangerous place. Earning this first place, and I think it's been pretty prevalent. The one takeaway I would say about these last few games is that it's going to be absolutely for sure the bench will be playing in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. We we can't have just our starting unit and shorten the minutes up of all these players and, and do what traditional coaches or honestly even what Dwayne Casey has done a lot in the past. I think he knows he's going to have to adapt. Our second unit is far too good, no, and they destroy other teams. Even their starting units. There's five great guys on that bench unit, but there's one guy that obviously I don't really think is going to be part of our playoff plans moving forward, and that's uh, that's Norman Powell. You know, we saw the other day Malcolm Miller was the starter. He did play like 15 minutes or 12 minutes or something. But Norman Powell has been absolutely horrendous since the all, post-All-Star break, or majority of the season as well. The guy has 12 points in his last four games, guys. Well, I'm, I mean, Brandon, it it shows that OG Ananobi goes down with a you know minor injury, and the coaching staff makes the decision to bring up a D-leaguer. Yeah, what are they doing there? Like, is it like because I was thinking like it's getting like a really good young guy, the experience of being in the starting rotation. But, but you Miller's got a guy th- that you're Miller's you, you, twenty five. You know what I mean? Like he's not like a spring chicken. He can hit the three and he's long, mm-hmm. but he's all, he's limited in lots of ways. Like I don't know, maybe this is a, a way to motivate Norm. But if you're Norman Powell, like how do you not look at that and be like? Wow, like I'm at rock bottom. Like, how do you look at that and and be anything other than, I mean, angry or sad? Maybe that's the plan. Motivate him to 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 pick himself up and be like, no, this is enough. This guy can't be playing over me. Well, we've me. given every opportunity we can to Norman. You know what I mean? Like, we haven't necessarily phased him out of the offense. It's just it's really difficult to see him be on the court. Like, I think we're at a point right now. Like, it's a fair thing to say, Graf, and that Norman probably shouldn't be playing right now. Like, we should be giving reps to guys who we need to get going in the playoffs. Like, we're talking about Pascal Siakam post All Star break, who's been putting on stellar numbers. You oh, know? Siakam's like the gem of that second unit. He's so good. Yeah. Sorry, points Graf. per game, four rebounds, sixty percent from the field in his last six games. Wow. Like, no, I don't think we should give Way up on Norman Powell there, because. Honestly, if you look at Norman Powell and what he's done, he kind of came out of nowhere last year, right? And he, he he played sort of really well in that isolation ball that we played. Now, That's he came up point. in that system. You asked him to do it, and he actually did it. He did it fairly effectively as well. Now we changed our entire game once again, which he kind of had to learn and adapt. And I think it's easier for someone like DeMar DeRozan, who primarily is an isolation player, scores mid-range, is very similar, I guess, in, in a way, but to Norman has, Powell. But, no, but, but he has more skill. Exactly. He's And also, he's not in his second year in the league or third year in the league, right? He's yeah. actually uh, willing to or able to, I think, get assists a lot easier than someone like Powell. It's really hard to ask someone or something like that from someone like Powell to change his game that often. So I think if anything, yeah, you got to give him as much confidence as possible, at least give him time on the court. 
you can't just sit him down and just kind of give up on the guy. You've also given him a pretty big contract. It's it's only good if he plays well because then he's even more of a trade chip, even if you don't believe him in the future. So you got to give this guy minutes. You, you have to give him, and not to mention, we want to rest people like Lowry. Like we're not going to, I think Dwayne Casey's alluded to it already, we're not going to go down the stretch and have these players sit out full games. Mm. If anything, they're going to get their rest by giving Norman Powell and those Malcolm Miller and these type of players that we picked up a little bit, you know, instead of 30 minutes a game for, or 33 minutes a game for Lowry, maybe we'll get 22 or 25. That's yeah. clearly a confidence issue, I think, if Norman has pointed. We all know this, right? And, and against, like, you know, teams like, you know, we played Atlanta yesterday. Um, you know, we played Charlotte uh, early in the week as well, or last week on Sunday. And just, like, maybe just designing plays for the guy off the bench. You know what I mean? Like, giving him the ball. Like, just giving him that sort of, like, confidence and, the, and then that belief in himself but, that okay. he is a important piece of this organization. The issue, Brandon, is he is this. This is what he is. He is a straight-line driver to the basket, mm-hmm. okay, attacking player. Mm-hmm. His jump shot, when he's like his spot up jump shot that he was kind of hitting before, well, we saw it, in the playoffs is out the year, window. Right? Like yeah. like that that again, the guy can't throw a rock in the ocean. Like mm-hmm. okay, and his he has no ability to create for himself off the dribble other than that burst to the basket. And I also think what happened was teams, you know, we, you do well, teams will scout you and say, hey, this is what, what this guy does. Now the you know now the the. The jig is up. Like like people know what you do, so we're going to adjust. And he hasn't been able to readjust. And and to Grappin's point, I actually think it's really a good point. He's not the smartest basketball player. He succeeded based on his amazing athleticism, and because of that, with the ball movement, you have to be thinking a step ahead, knowing where to be on the court and where. So that could be a. Uh, I didn't even consider that. That could be part of the reason why he's struggling. Yeah, and I think it's just. Um you know, like with Norman as well, we have so much depth at that position. Um, and, you know, obviously we're seeing it with OG this year. CJ Miles has really uh, picked it up the last three games or Bench so. Bench dad. 20 points against Washington, 12 against Charlotte, and 14 last night against Atlanta, shooting 12 and 27 from that stretch. I know, Greg, you have a few thoughts on CJ Miles' sort of uh, late season resurgence, I guess if we'll call it a resurgence. No, it's key. The Raptors need it, we need him for spacing. Uh, his, this is what, what what we paid the guy for. If we don't have him in the playoffs, it's going to be another like Damari Carroll dud. Mm-hmm. And it's good to see that that he's coming around. I think he's a good player outside of his shot. I think we use him too much. Like we refer to him like he's Kyle Korver. He shot nine three pointers in each of the last three games. That's too much though. Yeah, like yeah. like it's the same thing that we did with Ibaka when Ibaka got here. We were using him for these spot up threes. Like it's he can shoot it. When he's open, yeah, he's knocked down. But he's not a, a constant heat-check three-point shooter like we use him mm-hmm. just to get volume threes. He actually, like, he developed his shot after uh, uh, several years in the NBA. He wasn't always a shooter, mm-hmm. right? So he actually has other parts of his game. Like, he can create off the dribble. I like it when he takes it to the basket. He's a good passer, right? So I, I would just like to see a more holistic use out of him. Look, the only thing... I guess stats would be the only thing that would argue against you here because off the dribble, off the catch and shoot, statistically he's one of, he's top three three point mm-hmm. shooters in the league in terms of like advanced stats. Like he statistically has a better chance of chucking up one of those threes and it going in than him driving and and being successful in that sense. And I know that he's been trying to pass a lot more when he drives out of it. Um, I don't know. Like I, I was frustrated like you. Uh, I can kind of compare him to a Baca. And I'd yeah. much rather see him take a three with a hand in his face than a Baca doing it. And that's oh, the difference between last year and this year. I just don't love threes with, like, contested threes. I, I understand, like, 
the whole analytics argument, oh, a three is better than a two. But is a contested three better than an open two? I mean, he's been making the, – the game against Washington was the one that really stuck out to me for C.J. Miles. There was one pass that Van Vliet gave him in the corner, and he caught it and shot it as he was oh, in the air moving. When he like is he, on, exactly. he's, right, he's streaky too, right? Exactly. So, I mean, you're going to get him in bunches. When he's hot, honestly, I have no problem the second unit giving him the ball and just letting him fire. Yep. All right, guys, let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll be back in a second talking about the uh, Eastern Conference and just general NBA news. Uh, I want to give a big shout-out to Malad Makimoto, who is providing us with this wonderful music to fill these sequences. We'll be back in a second. Guys. Yeah, we used to be like a piece of artwork under the willow tree. I remember all the things that you would do to me. You remember me was the reason for my poetry. And the way that you would look at me. Alrighty, so Cleveland Cavaliers currently sitting 37 and 26, six and four in their last ten, but a half game in front of the Indiana Pacers, about a full game ahead of the Washington Wizards. I think the biggest, bigger question we're going to have right now is, you know, based on our schedule. I know we've been kind of chatting about this throughout the week. How low can the Cleveland Cavaliers fall in the playoff standings this year? I'll throw it to you, Gravin. How low can they go? How low can they go? Um, Again, I think the Cleveland Cavaliers' new roster here is going to take time to gel. So there might be a little bit of, you know, we're seeing it right now. They're losing some games like they lost to the Spurs when they really, the Spurs really have no one right now. DeJounte Murray, baby. At home. And (laughs) uh, you look at some of their games coming up, like they they should easily, they have a nice homestand as well. Versus the Nuggets, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Suns. Like, these are teams that could get them some momentum. I don't really see them falling too far. Like, right now, they're in third. I mean, they only have a half game lead over the Pacers. But some of these other teams, like the Wizards, I can see falling. Um, I can see the 76ers falling a little bit, just based on schedules, just purely based on the schedule. And mm-hmm. Cleveland, I think, is a good enough team. And also, this year's different for them. If anything, I think they know they need third place. Mm-hmm. If they come in fourth and they face the Raptors in the second round, I, I honestly think it's something they'd rather not do until the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, it's because it would take it would take a lot out of them. They'd rather face Boston, yeah. to be perfectly honest yep. with you. I think that just the, the fact that we have a bench, that when LeBron's not on the floor, we can actually kill the other team, that's scary to someone like LeBron because he has no control over it. So when you face someone like Boston, you have a lot more control. Plus, you, you know kind of the, you know, the, the devil you're facing in Kyrie Irving. It's actually a very interesting matchup. The playoffs start today. The Cavaliers would play the Philadelphia 76ers. I know a very mm. experienced team, but a very sort of like high upside athletic team as well. I wouldn't be surprised if like the bottom seeds, even like Philadelphia and even Milwaukee for that matter, could take out Cleveland in the first round. All the bottom seeds are like, honestly both sides I, of the table. There's some good the teams. Pistons, the way okay, <laughs> I think they're not going to the playoffs now. For yeah, sure. with how <laughs> Cleveland is playing now, Look at the without love, I agree with you. But okay. You are not seeing, like even now when I'm watching LeBron, he's still deferring, trying to get teammates involved. When LeBron goes T-1000, when he yeah, goes yeah. on Terminator mode and he demands the ball every possession and he runs the ball down your throat, there are very, like he raises. How many times have we doubted LeBron in the past and how many times has he pulled through and persevered against immense odds? You know oh, I mean? yeah. And, and that's the thing with LeBron. I know he's 34. 33. I know he's, he's 33. 33. He's been in the playoffs the finals basically for his, the, the last like five six years you know there's a lot of mileage behind those legs but no, no like, he's in his am, prime who am i to doubt lebron now you no, know what i mean he's he's playing better to me because he's reached a peak where his athleticism is almost still at peak but his mind is prime mm-hmm. right so he right now is the most dangerous 
I've ever seen him. Like when when he gets streaky with that outside shot, it's like he's unstoppable. His only issue is clutch time shooting. He doesn't have an outlet anymore in Kyrie Irving. So we're talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers, the True. Toronto Raptors, and the Boston Celtics, the top upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. Let's talk about the bottom seeded teams, the 8, 7, 6, specifically the Philadelphia 76ers. They look good. With the acquisition of Marco Bellinelli and my boy Ursan Ilyasova at the trade deadline. Um, does the presence of these veteran shooters kind of make Philadelphia more of a threat? Like, we're talking about them playing Cleveland. Like, how far can Philadelphia go with their current roster, Christian? I honestly, I've been a proponent of, of the 76ers for a very long time. You have. Time. You called it. And, um, like, look at their record right now. They're a good team. I think we were arguing before if they're going to be maybe in the playoffs. I, you know, for, I didn't. I thought they wouldn't make the playoffs. And look, this is, 35 and 28. Yep. They are doing very well. And, again, the Eastern Conference is so tight that this is a team that could finish somehow fourth, possibly, and get home still. Um, yeah, I don't think the players that they acquired are going to make that big of a difference. Again, if anything, it's kind of like what Jack Armstrong was alluding to when we when we interviewed him with the Raptors. They just kind of got pieces that are just sort of snipers. Mm-hmm. They came in, they're going to come into the game and just do exactly what they're told, uh, kind of like a reliever in baseball, right? You come in to get one guy out, and that's pretty much all you have to do. Bellinelli, we know what his strength is. Like, we know these guys, what they brought to the team, what they're going to bring. And if anything, it just makes them deeper. So, yeah, I, I like the fact that they're kind of going for it. They're going yeah. for LeBron in the offseason. Like, at this point of, of Philly, it's pretty safe to say that they're past the restructuring phase and they're now going on to the winning phase. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, kudos to you for, for seeing these guys. I, I underestimated. Like, I never saw Ben Simmons play. I underestimated, like, Joel Embiid, I knew how good he was. I didn't know how athletic, like, Ben Simmons is bigger than LeBron James. And, like, I was watching them the other night. LeBron was on a fast break, and Simmons, like, caught up to him. I'd never seen that before. Right, like, like he is a he's and a big time he, athlete. Praised him after he's the game too. He's like the game as a rookie this year, and he can't even shoot from both hands. And that well. that's he's the crazy part. He actually he is can't abroad. shoot. One of the the crazy stats I saw quickly just about Ben Simmons was Dwight Howard has more threes than him this year. Like he's not a oh, he shooter. He doesn't shoot outside ten feet. Yeah, he's not a shooter, and even when he finishes near the rim, it's always it's a, with his right hand. Yeah, or like push shots and that kind of thing. I still didn't think that in terms of knocking out the Cavs or something they're they're too young usually in the NBA like maybe, history tells us you got to lose can push them. Maybe you got to lose to win with uh, Philadelphia shooting coaches we've seen what's happened to Markel Fultz Ben Simmons not necessarily uh, getting any better um, Fultz looks better all right, moving to the Western Conference so obviously the top 2 we got the Houston Rockets and the Golden State Warriors um, but the Portland Trailblazers have been surging lately, going 9-1 in their last 10, currently on an eight-game win streak. Crazy. Uh, Damian, Damian Lillard in the month of March is averaging 33 points per game, 4.5 assists, shooting 48% from the field. Another guy that like really impresses me, and I think the biggest issue of the Trailblazers, especially the last few seasons, especially with five salary cap restraints, is their inability to put out a competitive bench. But you're seeing that this year, especially with Shabazz Napier within the last month, mm-hmm. averaging 10.5 points per game and 3.5 assists. Um, are they a viable threat to the Golden State Warriors, Houston Rockets? Or are, are, is it just like a, like like the wise words of Meek Mill, there's levels to this shit, young boy, and Golden State and Houston are the top level? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. They can. I think the Blazers could take two from those teams in a seven-game series. But they, I always thought that team is like down a star and they've overcommitted to these other pieces around them. 
Well, like at the Evan Turner contract, they offer yeah. the crap contract with Sierra Harkless and Miles Le- Leonard are on these like humongous contracts like, as well. There's just know? not enough money then. Yeah, they, Neil they O'Shea's really shit guy. the bed when it comes to yeah. uh, staggering his salary gap. Yeah. There's no backcourt I think I like more. Like a lot of people argue a lot of the time who is the best backcourt between Rappers. DeMar and, and Kyle, of course, <laughs> Bradley Beal and John Wall. But, I mean, I don't know. I, Damian Lillard's one of my favorite players to watch. He has that killer sort of instinct, and we've seen it recently. Yeah, he's clutch. Him and and CJ McCollum's got it, too. Like, he's he's also really good defensively. Like, they're a good team. I think the two games I'm going to watch this week are both on Friday night. The two ones I'm excited for. The Raptors in Houston, and then Portland actually faces the Warriors. And that's going to be a really big, I think, testament to sort of their season. Hmm. Although it does seem like the Warriors are sort of pulling a Cavs every other year. They're sort of saying whatever about the regular season who cares let's just uh you know let's just get into the playoffs and we'll worry about now though what they've said was they want to end the season undefeated apparently because of that it's because they were lackadaisical and steve kirk called them out so now i think they publicly stated they want to try to go the rest of the season undefeated and that's actually what they're going to need to do Oh, the, oh the first the players were relaxed when he let them coach them Uh, (laughs) i I wonder why (laughs) Uh, the, the Warriors will be fine, but yeah, I don't know. The Western Conference is just as exciting now, I think, as the East because everything's so close, and a team like Portland can go from, what, sixth all the mm-hmm. way to third mm-hmm. like that. We're talking about the best teams of the West. Let's talk about the, I wouldn't say the bottom of the barrel, but the teams who are fighting to get into the playoffs right now. A very close, close, close match between three teams currently pining for the eighth position Utah. in the Western Conference. So we got the Denver Nuggets currently sitting 35-29, and 6-4 and four in their last 10. Clippers 34-29, and 6-4 and four in last 10 as well. Utah Jazz, though, 34 and 30, right behind them, 8 and 2 in their last 10 with a three game win streak. Uh, at the end of the season, how do you guys see this shaping up? I know the Denver Nuggets are going to be eight seeds, so I don't need to have this conversation. So this is going to be, <laughs> this is my crazy prediction. Uh, I think all three of them get in the Nuggets, the Clippers, and the, the and the Jazz. And the Timberwolves so who's out? In. I'm saying the Spurs aren't going to make the wow. playoffs. Wow. Three and seven in the last 10. That's, that, that's, honestly, look, like, even, even if Kawhi does come back, He's going to be in limited minutes. Uh, I just don't. I mean, trust me. I I lo- I'm always been a, a proponent of, of trust Popovich. That's like a motto. But I probably Kawhi have tattooed on me. I just I don't see it happen. Look at their rec- uh, Look at their schedule coming down the stretches. Where they have a three game road trip right now against Golden State, Houston. I mean, basically, if you look at their next twelve games, they're probably going to lose nine of them. And even those three wins are like, eh, maybe. Mm. It's like Washington on the road or something like that. So they can easily go three and nine in this next 12-game stretch. And where would that put them in? The, like the Right now, it's so close that if they even lost two or three games, they're already out of the playoffs. So There's no, I don't think the Spurs, especially because Kawhi's coming back. And by the way, he is coming back, and he's publicly announced that he wants to be a lifelong Spur. This gives okay more evidence to my theory. They've been resting him, him, and same thing with Rudy Gay. They got these minor injuries. They set them the whole season. The, the team has been better now because more guys have played. Aldridge is like in all-star form. And now they're bringing out a fresh Kawhi to sick on the Warriors, man. So with the Do not. I'm telling you, the so Spurs the are diabolical. And the inclusion of LaMarcus Aldridge. And let's say they can beat anyone. bottoms they out. They can beat anyone. Do you think they can beat Houston and Seven Christian? That would be an amazing series. No, I don't. Ooh, I think, not this year, not Houston. Let's bet I wouldn't. Boys. I wouldn't bet good. on it. Like, Houston like I wouldn't. I wouldn't good. bet against the home court in that scenario, right? Considering the year that Houston I'll has. Bet, I'll mortgage my grandfather's house in this bet. Okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Look, my theory is uh, the lady from Get Out was filming 
and usually she's with the Spurs organization, yeah. just hypnotizing Kawhi Leonard oh, and man. keeping his mind. She's back now. She's done filming. Now Kawhi's back. He's going to stay a Spur for life, and That's all it. of a sudden he's back to normal. I don't know. It's weird. It, the the whole thing is weird, what's going on with Kawhi. Popovich saying this was all the show. It's all, it's all the show. Cause well, I, for what? To, to, because uh, it's all smokescreen, right? It's that no one sees them coming. No well, one sees them coming. I hope no one saw their three and seven in the last ten. All right, guys, last topic for just general NBA uh, news. Uh, I guess, like, one of the narratives in the league right now is, is tanking. Tankapalooza, we'll call it, right? Um, Adam Silver uh, apparently had a meeting with Chicago Bulls because they've been arresting Robin Lopez and Justin Holiday for, like, the last, like, couple weeks or so, and they started Christian Felicio the other day, the last couple games as well. Great name. Um, yep. Who do you think is doing the best job tanking? And I mean that in the sense, like, who is doing it in the most, like, ethical, sort of conducive to, like, the league rules way, if that makes sense. I personally think it's the New York Knicks. I'm purely saying this for the fact that they picked up Emmanuel Moutier. The guy might have some high upside, but he's the 455th ranked player in net rating with a negative 11.6 when he's on the court. So maybe bringing a guy like Moutier and making him in your primary point guard was like the ownership or the team thinking, like, let's get this, like, one guy who's going to make our team ship, but on paper his name is more enticing than the actual product on the court. I think it's Memphis because because they're griping about it. You know, they're totally griping about it, right? Like like Mark Russell, uh, he's unhappy that they're losing, right? Which is the way you do it. Like, like th- that's the thing. You don't have to try to lose on purpose. Like, these things will happen in the ebb and flow of a franchise. I just feel terrible for Mark Russell. Like, his body language and all these games, like, he oh. is so fed up with this shit. Well, like, they totally should have traded him, right? I don't know. Like, that's like his I hands think. are literally up over his head and, like, just like, well, well, yeah, right? Like, if that's the thing. Like, you can tell they're not actually trying to lose. Yeah. They just – Plus, right now they have the num- – They would Chandler have Parsons. the best odds at the number one pick as well, right? So, that Memphis would. Yeah. So, so, I don't know. I also think the Hawks. Like, the Raptors just played them. They played them really, really tough. Like, they're a team that um, – Yeah. You look, they have, they're kind of deep. Like, they're they're young with Baysmore and Collins and all these players. Torian Prince. Yeah, Torian Prince. Like, they actually have a few good pieces, and if you – if you start looking ahead, I guess, a little bit, and you add DeAndre Ayton to the team, and you add R.J. Barrett another couple of years from now, that team's actually got a pretty good yeah. core. Mm-hmm. So I think they're doing it the most respectable way, and I think the most unfortunate way would be the Nets because all the injuries and everything that's happened and to they them. they don't even get a pick, right? No. And they don't. And their pick, I guess, goes to Cleveland. So. All right, guys, we're going to uh, switch over to, I guess, um, an interesting article written by the Toronto Star about DeMar DeRozan and depression and just sort of, um, you know, like uh, emotional sort of issues being a professional athlete. We'll talk about them in a second. But before we get there, I just want to pull up like a completely random stat. Everyone gets so engrossed in Anthony Davis, rightfully so. He's been playing incredible basketball over his last seven games, 36 points per game, 15 rebounds, um, three blocks per game as well. You know what Holiday's averaging right now in his last seven games? I've no, I've seen this. Twenty six point yeah. five points per game, eight assists, five rebounds, shooting fifty three percent from the field. Former All Star. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys, we'll be back in a second. Alrighty, guys, we are back. Um, so a very interesting article was written in the Toronto Star this week talking about uh, mental health 
uh, mental illness and, and mainly depression in the NBA. Uh, it was written through the perspective of DeMar DeRozan as a professional athlete. Obviously, we live in this hyper-masculine society where um, like showing vulnerability and emotions is, is non-existent in the professional game. It's that old sort of like, like take your, handle your shit, keep it inside, and don't tell anyone about it. But it was a really nice breath of fresh air to see DeMar be so honest and sincere and, and really speak from the heart about a lot of these issues. And, and we're seeing recently other players like Kevin Love you know, talking about having a pen attack on the bench, you know, creating uh, an opportunity to have this dialogue and these sort of conversations about mental illness. Christian, what are your thoughts on uh, DeMar DeRozan's article? So, yeah, DeMar DeRozan's comments, I think, were, well, Kevin Love said it before, that was sort of the spark plug. And I think it's, it's, it is true. It's, there's been some people in the past in the NBA who have sort of called this out. But now that mental sort of, you know, awareness uh, about mental health issues is so high up there right now in terms of society, it's a, it, it, it's a good time, I guess. I hate to say it. Like, it's a good time for DeMar to sort of promote it. He was at the All-Star game. It's someone who you, you know, it's kind of like someone that we all idealize. We all think that these players, that they have un- endless money. They have, you know, so much opportunity. They can do whatever they want, like, so to speak. How could you possibly say You have everything in Exactly. But that's such a... Uh, you know, it, honestly, it's ignorant. it is. It is such a cliche to think that for yeah. from the non, you know, from the fan perspective, because we, we're never going to get something like that. So when you think of it in that sense, Demar's comments, and now you've seen a few players. I don't. I think Kevin Love is obviously he wrote the piece. Um, everyone's going through something, but there, there's a few players that I know will end up voicing themselves because of this, because a superstar actually went out there, said something, got a positive, you know, response back, and sort of wasn't afraid to do it. So, I watch a lot of, like, UFC, MMA, and it's a very barbaric, sort of physically imposing sport. Human cockfighting. But a big, but a big thing, uh, <laughs> but a big thing in the UFC is just their, um, you know, their ability to be honest with mental health issues, insecurities, anxiety, that kind of stuff. And they have things in the UFC, they're called mental coaches, where a lot of the, pro, like, big fighters, like, I just, they, they, they will even say it on the open, like, I need to sit down, have a chat with a mental coach, and just sort of, like, you know, like, have someone I can echo these sort of, like, these insecurities to, you know? And, and it's, it's so weird that in a sport like the UFC, um, we don't have that in the NBA. But that's my question. Don't these guys... Sorry to cut you off. Don't no, no. these guys have team sports psychologists? They're not right? therapists, though. Right? No, but I mean, with all the, the money and the resources and how much we understand about the mental side mm-hmm. of the game, like, you know, say what you want about Phil Jackson, he, you know, there's a reason why he gets his guys to meditate and stuff, right? Like, like the game is mental. Meditate, so, i.e. smoke some of the devil's lettuce in his, like, SUV or something. And <laughs> I guess Hot box. That's kind of what gets to my main question here, because this was this was, goes back to sort of Royce White, and he's a player, if you don't know about him, who was a high prospect. Yeah, he got drafted to the Houston Rockets. He had a fear of flying. Um, and really what it was is sort of, you know, he had a mental illness, and he wanted to sort of bring awareness to it yeah. at a league level. So you mentioned just now that sort of teams are the ones that should be responsible. Do you not think the league has some sort of responsibility as well to set up a program where oh, they don't have yeah. to? Because what Brandon was to saying hold earlier, the teams accountable actually. Well, because, well, see that's the difference I think though. Because what Kevin Love was saying in this is that one of the things, one of the reasons you don't want to speak out, you don't want to be perceived as weak. 
and who do you not want to speak out well, to think, to your organization? Well, I think it's all like implementing right? like, like that a makes psychiatrist you weak. on team or someone who can deal with these issues. I think it's just eroding, like a, changing the stigma of mental health in the NBA or professional sports. So it matters what needs yeah. to be fixed. You know yeah, I mean? no. it, it, it'd be great to have someone who represents a team to come in. But I think just, you know, like psychologically knowing that, like, if you do feel this, it's okay to say it out loud. You know what I mean? Tell your teammates this. Like, tell your loved ones. I don't think that's enough. I think the league has to have find a way to make it. Because I think anonymy is, like, to not have to go to your team and admit that something like this is happening is probably a big, you know, block for a lot of these people. It's why they don't. Exactly. It makes it harder to come to say something when the team knows you're seeing the team psychologist. You know what I mean? Or the team therapist is is assessing Kevin Love right now. So he's going through something. You kind of it's hard for the head office to not get that in their head. And the player knows that. So that's why I think the league should be almost more responsible than the teams here in in creating some sort of a program. Yeah, exactly. That's actually a really good point. And, you know, otherwise the teams might not fully come around and comply just to build off of what Brandon said too you know he mentioned masculinity is a big part of this and because how many of those guys consider themselves alpha males that show you know never show weakness right that that this sort of like you know 20th century mentality of like the Marlboro man that's stoic at all times just just aggressive you can only show aggression it's a social construct you know what I mean oh yeah it's it's a social construct like you know you, you got like let's take hockey and basketball for example you know, I, I'm not generalizing. I'm just saying, you know, in basketball, let's say, in some cases, it's a lot of players from lower income communities. And the stigma attached to mental health is not, like, you know what I mean? There's no conversation about that. Yeah. But on the flip side of the NHL, it's like, you know, like like masculine bro hockey player, like mainly white yeah. dudes, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And, like, it's that, like, also same thing, very, very drastically different terms. But, like, it's just that cultural stigma of, like, yeah. you are a man, don't voice your... your your in your concerns about mental health, you know, yeah. it's, it's a sign of weakness. Yeah, and and you know, just a question here because Demar, because Demar spoke back and said, you know, it was great to hear Kevin Love, mm-hmm. you know, uh, say that you know acknowledge my role and him coming out and yeah. talking about the panic attacks. Um, does because there's a difference between you know being depressed sometimes and th- struggling with depression, and I'm just curious with Demar. If that's been clarified, because I know he's going through stuff with his parents, right? Like both both his parents are sick. I know he, him and his girlfriend broke mm-hmm. up, uh, you know, and because it's you know he's having the best season of his career. But then on the flip side, all this personal stuff is kind of going on with him. I'm just curious: is this something that Demar has been ongoing? It's like an ongoing battle. It, it absolutely is. I think it's something he's been dealing with since he was a child. Obviously, like I'm just assuming, right? Well, he's had but, a rough deal, like, man. That's what I rough mean, though. Like growing up in Compton, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's a lot of many trauma to be able to like 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 talk about these things. Like I'm sh- like I've read a. a Great profile on him. I can't remember what publication wrote it, yeah, but yeah. you know he talked about like seeing some like very like violent like difficult situations. Think of Menace of Society, Boys in the Hood. Those are dramatized, but those are the realities that young boys in Compton find themselves. And from what I yeah like, and I think basketball for him has been a refuge, mm-hmm. and I think it's pretty clear. Um, and it's just honestly, his story is one of triumph, right? But to take that next step, like, and actually come out and talk about it. Really, that's a that's a man, mm-hmm. right? Should being being comfortable showing weakness. That's that's a grown up. That you know what I mean? Like, forget the gender construct or whatever, right? Everyone. Do you, think, do you think it's a testament to like playing and living in Canada for so long as opposed to playing in the states? Like, do you think it's maybe regional? he's far away from? Well, maybe it's that he's far away from 
America, like, you know, like in the South, right? Like there's a certain like man culture in the South, mm-hmm. I think that exists. And that's very general, I know. But if you're wrapped up in that, right, it's much different than, because, you know, and just the experience of playing so far away from your home and building a new life and a new identity and maturing like he has, mm-hmm. he's a very thoughtful guy, right? So yeah, that could have something to do with it. I mean, it's a hard topic to address just because there's no right answer, I guess, right now in terms of the best way to approach it. I guess, that if anything, you just applaud people like DeMar, like Kevin Love, that are willing to speak out and they're they're going to use their platform right now. There's no there's no bigger platform that they have. And you see LeBron doing it politically. You know, they're doing it for mental health. No, but, but everyone has a mental... There's no such thing as a perfectly operating brain, okay? Everybody has, like, you know, like, whether it's anxiety or, or depression or compulsiveness or, you know, everyone's got an unconscious mind, right? Like, so mental health isn't something that only some people deal with. Everyone, right? Like, it's like body health and it's connected to your mind. Everyone's right? going through something we can't see. Yeah. No, and, 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 and that's normal. And like you say, the, the more stigma is removed from that, the better actually people will be in terms of dealing with it. And again, it's all about having resources too and being able to go and see the team doctors and talk about maybe some, a certain medication or maybe it's just talk therapy and working through some, some, some trauma, right? Or maybe it's honest to God just meditating. Like there are different strategies that people can employ. But number one step is admitting to yourself that you do have an an, uh, an issue. And then, I mean, being public about it is something else, but that's just being a champion. Heart of a champion, DeMar DeRozan. Yeah, uh, so um, we're going to the next part now of this uh, of the podcast, which is an interview actually with a deal. And just a quick edit, uh, it was pre-recorded. So BTB Prep has actually been rebranded to Toronto Basketball Academy, which is referenced a few times in it. So just wanted to make that noted. Here's the deal. with the assistant coach for the Ryerson Rams and the head coach of BTB Prep in the OSBA, Adil Sahibzada. Adil, thank you so much for coming in today, brother. Oh, pleasure, pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I was doing like a brief skim of your LinkedIn page before I came in today, and like you are involved with so many nonprofit organizations. Like how do you find time to fit this in your schedule? That's the first question I have for you. Um, I guess less sleep more work right (laughs) let's see more work so um this is just an opportunity to kind of divulge into sort of uh toronto basketball um jabon what's the kind of what are you trying to what are we trying to get across with this sort of segment well uh traditionally we cover the raptors professional basketball uh you know the main topics the main headlines in the nba um but rarely do we get an opportunity to uh really meet somebody and get into the mind of somebody who's has such experience at the grassroots level. Um, with this interview, we definitely have an opportunity to do that. You know, bringing uh, Coach Adil on, uh, on for this interview is really a, a special and great thing to do right now. So, hey, what's up, T Dot? It's Sport Dot coming at you here. <laughs> Adil, tell us about your past, man. How'd you get into this? Oh man. Um, I was actually a cricket player before I became a basketball player. I'm from India, um, Kashmir, um, and I moved to Canada when I was about 10 years old in grade five. Um, you know, as you can tell, there's no one playing cricket in the wintertime here, so, you know, I needed an, I needed an escape. 
an um, indoor sport. Indoor sport, right? Uh-huh. Um, so basketball was that platform for me. Um, you know, it just started with a simple game of elimination, trying to win, uh, trying to win elimination every day, um, and just being disheartened and seeing myself never win, and always be the first one out. To the point where you know I started getting better and you know and kind of you know that's where I think I, I traced my passion back to uh, you know the start of you know basketball for me and then um, you know having an opportunity you know to play at a very high level you know playing prep basketball um, seeing it firsthand when you know the formative prep movement started in um, Canada. Can you tell us a bit about that? Like your experience so, playing prep, you played at was it CTA? No, I actually played at um, Eastern Prep. Um, Eastern Prep, okay. Yeah, so it was like one of its first kind. That's when, you know, it was still very unorganized, the prep scene in Canada. Um, so different people were trying different things. At that time, Coach Francis, Coach O'Neill were trying it at uh, Eastern Commerce. And Eastern Commerce at that time was a very reputable um, high school basketball program. They yeah, had one five out of So CTA is now called Central Toronto Academy. Yeah, right? Central so Toronto that's why Academy. I, I yeah, know that you were at, so, you were so, B, so BTB Prep was actually at um, Eastern Prep before. I mean uh, CTA or Central Commerce, but now BTB Prep kind of uh, rebranded itself. Uh, it's called Toronto Basketball Academy, and we actually run it out of uh, John Polani Collegiate Institute. Mm-hmm. So just a little bit of an update since the last time, um, you know, I've been doing it. We've actually been at John Plani for the last two years. So anyways, going back to Eastern Prep, you know, mm-hmm. from there I went on to play at University of New Brunswick. Um, you know, I played at about five or six different schools, universities. Had a career laced with in- injuries, um, you know, a lot of serious injuries. And, I, and for me, you know, I always wanted to stay involved with the game. So on the side, I would try different things, work with different not-for-profit organizations, worked at elite camps, and, you know, kind of, you know, started training kids. And then, you know, from there, um, you know, I was like, I want to stay involved with basketball. And, you know, I had, like, this passion for coaching. I uh, just needed an opportunity to kind of uh, get my foot in the door, and you know, that's how it all and, started. And how did that link to the Ryerson Rams? So once I started coaching at the prep level, um, you know, I, I guess I couldn't stop there. I wanted more. Mm-hmm. I wanted I wanted to learn at a higher level. I, I wasn't satisfied with the knowledge I had acquired. You know, I knew I wanted to learn from the best, you know. And Coach Rana had an incredible reputation in Toronto, in Canada, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. international basketball. Um, so I figured, you know, if, if I could, you know, get an opportunity to work with the Rams, you know, that'd be big time. You know, I remember going to Coach Rana and telling him, hey, listen, man, you know, I want an opportunity to work for you. You know, what do I got to do? So I think he just he said something to me like, hey, call me back or something. And he, he didn't call me back for a week. I kept calling him. Eventually gave me an opportunity. Yeah, exactly. And that's been me. I've been persistent all my life. So I ended up uh, getting an opportunity to uh, see him. Um, I actually put together like a PowerPoint, met him, uh, and then he said he'd think about it. And I think a couple of weeks later, he's like, okay, come show me what you got on the court. Um, so the first time, you know, I started working with the players at Ryerson, he didn't really like what I was showing them. So I was like, oh, man, maybe he's not going to bring me on staff. But uh-huh. I think a week or two later, he's like, you know what, we're going to bring you on staff. We like your energy. We like your passion. And we like your report you have within, you know, kids in the grassroots community. So, uh, you know, I, there's definitely some an opportunity for us to help Ryerson basketball grow. Amazing, amazing. So, uh Obviously, Ryerson won their most recent game last week against the uh, uh, University of Ottawa. 
in big, Ottawa. Big. And then we beat Brock in Bro- at Brock. And then you beat Brock in Brock. So uh, what's ha- what's happening with Ryerson going forward? I heard there's a big tournament this weekend. Tell us yeah, a little bit about so, that. So we beat, um, we had a pretty, we had a lot of disruptions in our season at Ryerson this year um, with injuries, um, with illnesses, with, you know, transfers, you know, it was difficult, uh, but we still managed to finish 17 and six. Had a play-in game for playoffs. Uh, finished tied for second, but third because of point differential. With Ottawa, uh, had a play-in game. Uh, beat Queens, a really tough, like probably a top 10 team. Like we had the toughest league. Um, we played in the OU at West, and that was that probably had like five of the top 10 teams in the country. Uh, so we beat a t- tough and gritty Queen squad in the playing game in the quarterfinals. Went to up, went up to Ottawa, beat Ottawa, then had Brock a couple of days later. Beat Brock at Brock in front of a sellout crowd, and Brock's done a tremendous job with their program with Coach Kissy. I remember playing for him one year as well, actually in his first year. Um, so I have a lot of respect for the way he's kind of turned that program around. Um, and then we played for the OUA championship game, lost to Carlton. Um, but two teams from the OU will get a chance to move on to the uh, national. So I'm actually headed up on a flight in about an hour um, to um, to Halifax for the final eight CIS OU Sports final eight. Amazing, and, amazing. And, and we appreciate that that you are joining us on on such a a tight timeline. I wanted to ask him a little bit about the the BTB. Okay. And the the bigger than basketball element to what he does if 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 you're wrapped up with the ryerson question i want to give you that in joe so you're, you're asking me or you're asking, I'm the asking deal? Can, I, can i can we move on of course yes for sure okay because i'm this this you know yeah, me yeah, i i coach at uh, jarvis collegiate okay i do a lot of um a lot of youth programming through sport yeah. and it's never been for me just about winning yeah. My guys, you know, we've won, you know, we've won cities, uh, one of the top teams always in the city. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm a competitor, but it's always been bigger than soccer, right? So, yeah. or, or in this case, bigger than basketball. I just wanted to, wondering if you can kind of expand on that, you know, why that title, what that means. Yeah. You know, bigger than basketball, you know, it's, this is what we're all about. You know, it's, I, and I tell my guys every single day, it's never been about the outcome. It's never been about the wins and losses. You know, to be honest, like, we probably lost more games than we won, you know, and, and our su- success isn't predicated on how many games we've won and how many games we've lost. Our, our success is predicated on how committed we have been to our process. And in our process, I always tell my guys, there's two things, you know, there's, you know, your effort and there's the attitude, you know, um, you know, are we are we maxing out our effort? Are we maxing out our understanding of the game? And then, or is our attitude, you know, the right attitude? You know, the attitude that's gonna be the one that's gonna make us successful, not just in basketball but in life. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very holistic environment. Um, you know, this year we probably had the most talented team we've ever had, but this year. You know, actually, in, in in the in the U.S., we had the best record. I think we had we went nine and seven in the U.S. last year. We were three and uh, eleven, and the year before we were two and three. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, definitely a, a big yeah, a big progression in the states. But in Canada, it was a pretty disappointing year, six and six. Even though we could have done easily, went twelve and zero. We we didn't lose any game by more than four points or yeah. eight points, something you something like close. that. You're, you're really, really close, in yeah, in Canada, yeah. yeah. And and I said to my guys, like, listen, it's always been about the process. It's always been about, you know, just 
finding opportunities. Like it's it's not predicated. Like our success isn't predicated on winning and losing. It is you know. For me, as coaching staff, it's, it's predicated on how many scholarships are we getting these kids. Mm-hmm. You know, last year we had seven kids that graduated, all seven got a scholarship. The year before we had eight kids gra- that graduated, all eight got a scholarship. This year, same thing. So, um, you know, our compass, our, 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 our guiding compass has been always scholarships. Yeah. So we've actually, like, there's been games where it's like, hey, this coach coming in to watch this kid. So we're going to play him a little bit more. Uh-huh. Um so, you know, whether we win or lose, it's like, hey, we want the coach to see him, uh, see him because he's got an opportunity to get a scholarship. And that's what it's always been about. And our kids actually probably end up winning more at the next level because of just the kind of adversity that they face here. You know, as much as I'd love to win with them and as much as we always look great on paper and we just don't, you know, we're not, and we, we, don't, we don't have half the success, half the success that we should have. Um, but the adversity, the turbulence, whatever you know that comes their way, definitely makes them stronger and more perseverant for the next level, and more prepares them. You know, you know the the rigorous discipline prepares them for the next level. Well, it's like you said, right? Like how you got into playing basketball and got better at it was fucking losing, man. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right? Like exactly. like nothing breeds the will exactly. to win. Exactly. Like getting your ass kicked. Exactly. Hundred percent. Right. And and that's kind of what I'm understanding about this process right yeah. just like kind of sticking with the right attitude and effort and focusing on the process 100%. right and you can apply that to anything in life 100 percent, absolutely right? you know uh to continue the conversation about uh scholarships so how much scholarships would you say you've uh got these kids or have helped them get over the years and uh what's the whole process like in 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 these kids getting scholarships like from you know getting noticed getting recruited and then ultimately uh, signing on the dotted line. What's that like? That whole process. Oh, it's it's a it's a, it's 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 a tough process. And I'm I'm not gonna say I. I'm gonna say we because it's not a end of, it's not an effort that I I do by myself. It's a you know it's a together you know it's a togetherness. You know the kids are involved. You know the coaches are involved. The admin are involved. The school's administration is involved. You know, Coach Jovan is involved. You know, Coach Jovan plays a big role in all of this, right? Um, but the process uh, for the whole thing is kind of like, for me, is like identifying kids, you know, um, and, and it's like, hey, does this guy have an opportunity to play at the next level? Can he be a pro? And those those are the kind of guys we want. Can he be a pro in the classroom? Can he be a pro on the court? Can, can he be a pro in basketball after basketball is done for him at the next level? So those are the kind of kids we want to identify. Is he is he a pro in his character? You know, is his mannerisms on point? You know, and I'm not just saying it, you know, for the sake of saying it. I'm, not, you know, if you ever come watch our team, you know, these are the these are the kind of kids that we're recruiting. These are the kind of kids that play here. This is this is the culture that we've kind of you know, uh, kind of built. Um, you know, and 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 that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to continue building and strengthening that culture. Um, Winning is just a small part of that culture. You know, it's a byproduct of how well we do in the process. Um, but even so, uh, just the process, you know, going back to the process of, you know, getting kids scholarships is, you know, I look at, uh, you know. Give us some examples. Give us some examples. Some I'll give an example, a very with. recent example, Patrick. Um, so Patrick, he's playing for me now. He came came to us three years ago. Um, could I, you know, he had some lot of raw ability. He could... 
Uh, he was a he was a good athlete. He had potential. He had a baby face. You could definitely see he still had him matured enough. Um, he had some intriguing skill set. His he had a jump shot like he was confident in his jump shot, but and he had the will and the knack to score. Um, you know he could ha- he could see that he could eventually handle the ball, um, but he was just he just wasn't exposed to high level competition. But he was six four six five at that time in grade eleven. Um, and he stood out in a tier two game. So I'm like, you know, I reached out. I'm like, hey, listen, man, I think you have an opportunity. I'd love to kind of work with you and see what, what you got. So we worked relentlessly. And, and, and it's not just me working. You, it's, a, it's a two party. It's, it's, he's got to work and I got to work. He's got to get better. And then he's, he's got to, I got to get better to show him new stuff. Right. So for three years, you know, I was like, hey, this is your focus right now. This is the part that you got to improve in your game. And he was he was a contentious gym rat. So he was dedicated to, you know, strengthening different aspects of his game. And, you know, he changed the jump shot mechanics. He worked on his handles. He became a better athlete. He got in the weight room. You know, he became a bit bit stronger. Um, And then, you know, for us, you know, skill development comes in three phases. You know, obviously the skill development on-court portion, you know, individual development is important. The second one is, you know, competition. You want to play against the best. You want to mm-hmm. test yourself mm-hmm. against the best because they're going to throw different defenses at you. You want to be able to make different reads and different, you know, you have you you have a more nuanced understanding on how to score, how to defend at, at a higher level. And then the last one is you want to be able to play in front of a lot of coaches, in front of a lot of people, you know. So we always try to we strive. Yeah, exactly. Performance, you, you performance perform under pressure. in a big-time environment. Huge. Right, so that's been kind of like the three things, and we we've never had the, we've had a shoestring budget, but we've said you know where there's a will, there's a way. You know, somehow we're finding ourselves in France, we're finding ourselves in um, you know Orlando, we're finding ourselves in Vegas. You know, we we went to the states eight eight times this year, but you know we we didn't have the budget for anything. We just said we're gonna, we're gonna get it done, and we we're gonna we're gonna be creative with the way we do it. Uh, you know, kids are gonna pay some. We're gonna try to fundraise a little bit. Some of it's gonna come out of our own pockets, but we're gonna expose these kids, give them an opportunity to play in front of a lot of coaches, and you know slowly, you know you know Patrick started garnering attention south of the border in Canada. Um, started working out with the national team, working out with with me at Ryerson. You know, I get you know I was able to take advantage of the resources I had at my disposal, and uh, from there, you know, just performing at a higher level. You know, having a forty point game against an ESPN top one hundred kid, you know, that definitely helps. And then picking up his first couple scholarship offers, and then you know now he's got scholarship offers from Central Michigan, from um, Canisius, from Kent State, from. Uh, Sienna, and now he's navigating through the four schools, going on visits, kind of seeing, hey, what's what, what's a good fit? Wow, there's more schools still actively recruiting him, seeing, hey, is this a kid that we want to recruit, right? And I think the kid has the perfect intangibles to be successful at the next level. You know, he's gifted. He's six seven, six eight. Could shoot the ball at a high level. Could defend out of. He's a very versatile defender. He's he's he represents the way the modern, uh, the modern days player, yeah, yeah, plays like positionless sport. Mm-hmm. Basketball has truly become a positionless sport. There's no need. There's no longer like a a five man is is a Draymond Green. Yeah. Sometimes the five man is now six seven, six eight. Mm-hmm. You know they're taking advantage of kids that are more versatile because you you got to be there's more skill is more valued than you know just you know raw athletic and and yeah. you know raw athletic ability right so um you know patrick represents that new breed of basketball 
um, so, you know, I guess kind of deciding and navigating through this mess of how many schools are recruiting me, which one is really interested in me, where, where am I going to actually be successful? So, you know, it's not so much about the school. It's it's not so much about the level of the school or the quality of the school. It's like level fit, academic fit and all of that. You know, and that's why I, he needs support. Right? And, that's and, and, and that's where that's and coaches, exactly. Right? And, and that's where I'm trying to help him out. Um, and then he's got to do his part, like, you know, have a strong he's got to be a strong student and he's got to you know do his SATs you know he takes care of that then the, the next part is quite easy and then after that what we call the uh, national letter of intent once he signs that you know that means he's officially committed to a school mm-hmm. a verbal committed still he's still unofficially committed uh, but once he signs a national letter of intent he's officially committed so it's a long process from identifying to scouting to you know, developing to exposing to, you know, now um, signing the dotted line. Yeah, signing the dotted line. So it's a long uh, process. Wow, it's crazy. Just to follow up with that. Um, so obviously, uh, a player of Patrick's stature, he obviously has the ability to play south of the border. Um, but just with my own personal experience, I've noticed a lot of kids being fringe players, not knowing if they're able to play at in the states or if they should stay in canada so i was just wondering uh with your experience and expertise uh how would you decide on whether a player should if they have the offers should uh play in the states or stay in canada what are some factors that play a role in that you know every kid is different every situation is different every offer is different right you know sometimes i'm sorry to cut you off uh the one player that came to my mind was uh actually uh your star at ryerson manny deressa i know he played down south for a bit ended up for whatever situation, moving back to Canada and playing uh, yeah. at Ryerson with you and uh, Coach Rana. So, yeah. no, Manny is a special case. I think you know now he's a first team All Canadian. It was actually just announced right now, about a couple of hours ago. Oh, nice. Um, but Manny uh, played at Tennessee Tech. He played at Eastern Commerce and then went on to play Division One basketball at Tennessee Tech. Didn't play a whole lot in his first couple of years, so he's figured, you know, how am I getting better? You know, I don't have an opportunity you need playing to time, play. Right? Yeah, the playing time. You know, I'm not playing, and you know. Not, I'm not sure if I'm really enjoying the experience here. So, you know, he came back home, played at Ryerson, uh, connected with Coach Rana, and Coach Rana embraced him with open arms, you know, and, and he's been flourishing. Now he's got more pro opportunity than he probably would have if he continued playing at Tennessee Tech and not putting up the numbers that he's putting up at Ryerson. You know, and I think this gives credence to the level of play that's improved in Canada uh, in the last li- literally decade um, you know, the quality of coaching has improved. You know, there's so much more diversity in, in coaching ranks in Canada, you know, with Daryl Glenn at PEI, Patrick Tatham at McMaster, Coach Rana at Ryerson, Coach Chang at Nipissing, and I can name countless others, mm-hmm. Coach Kissy at Brock, and all five of them are, are doing a wonderful job. But, you know, with that diversity, you know, there's now you have a different pool of kids you know, kids that have been at South of the Border, they might not be enjoying the experience or or the experience doesn't live up to their expectations. Now they want to come back home and be able to build this brand of basketball. And, you know, it's a pretty exciting brand. Like I, I'll say in, in a year, next year, we'll probably have a kid getting drafted from the CIS. And then I think in a, in a few years, every year we'll have a couple guys, one, two guys being drafted. Uh, from really? the CIs. Yeah. So uh, I think what, it's definitely would, going what, in that direction. What would a guy being drafted to the NBA from the CIS or U Sports, what kind of an impact would that have on the actual collegiate league? 
I think it would it would shift the perception that kids have around basketball in Canada. Big time, yeah. Um, I th- I think we just need you know a kid like that to enter the NBA draft and you know kids start seeing yeah. like hey this is a possibility maybe staying in Canada is not that bad of an option and I actually recommend I, I actually encourage kids to stay in Canada the quality of education is stronger mm-hmm. you know you don't have to worry about you know the overwhelming racist rhetoric that's you know kind of the man. politics predominantly the politics. predominantly you know that you would a part face. of American yeah. culture right now unfortunately not every part like you know there's some you know some parts in America which are you know st- embrace embrace they, they embrace diversity but unfortunately not every part in the US does right um, and there's more I guess there's more genuine care about kids in Canada than there is in the United States you know they're not you know it's, uh, you know and it comes off like sometimes you see uh, a lot of these kids are seen as just, you know, gladiators, you know, commodities, commodities that, hey, these kids are kids that we got to recruit. They're going to get us a better job as well. Um, you know, there's like that whole rhetoric of, you know, kids getting underpaid or not paid at all in the NCAA while the NCAA is making millions and billions, of, not even millions, billions of dollars. Like today, this is the first year the NCAA made over a billion dollars. Um, and this goes, this is without, you know, TV sponsorships, you know, television sponsorships, without apparel sponsorships, without all these other endorsements that they have, they've already made a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. With all that, you know, it's probably going to re- hit a record high of $10, 12000000000 billion. Yeah, right? it, de- it definitely seems like what you're describing, and just from what I have seen myself, it might be a more holistic environment. Yeah, especially exactly. Especially if you've got a good support network here and oh, yeah. the resources being what they are. Absolutely. That, right? So you would actually advocate for some kids, some young athletes to stay exactly. in and Canada. Exactly. And and we live in a very bureaucratic environment in Canada right now, which is why basketball is not glowing and growing the way like the kids are improving. Mm-hmm. Right? Like institutions uh, haven't caught up yet. Yeah. And and, 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 exactly. and at the grassroots level, we're, we're actually catching up big time. Mm-hmm. Like you can't, you can't tell oh, yeah. me, you know, you can't tell me TBA, you know, Orangeville, AI, you know, TRC, Ridley, you know, CTA, and those are those are other you know, prep schools, high in level Canada. prep programs are gonna go to the states and lose, you know, yeah. to Oak Hill. You know, back in the days, it's like, hey, we're gonna play Oak Hill. There's no way we're gonna beat them. Yeah. Now it's like, hey, we're going there and we're gonna compete and we're gonna try to beat them. Yeah. Right. You know, coaches are like me. I'm, you know, sure we're looking for those next fringe athletes that are, you know, A level guys. We'll probably get the A minus B plus kids. Like we're not gonna get the A plus kids just yet. But I'm not going down like that. Hey, we're gonna get blown out or anything. You know, we're going down and we're playing the best in the states. And you know, sometimes we're coming up victorious, and some other times we've 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 got a lot of signature wins under our belt this year, and and we've also got a lot of signature losses this year. But we're not. We're no longer like. There's no longer. There's no. We don't have that inferiority complex. Like, you're not hey, afraid. yeah, you're we're not, not afraid. afraid. Yeah, exactly. You know, you we don't, believe you don't in go the quality there of basketball that we you have. Go there. Oh no, we're not. We're yeah. going there com- expecting to compete and p- come out with a win. To be honest, yeah. you know, there's that there's that level of confidence that coaches have. There's a level of confidence that the players carry because the coaches manifest that in their in their preparation, in their you know, um, you know, rigorous. Execution of practice plans and game plans and you know film, all of that. Amazing, right. amazing, Adil. Uh, you've shared a wealth of knowledge with us today. You know we're grateful to have you. Uh, just to wrap it up, uh, 
a few thoughts on the future. Where do you see yourself five years from now uh, with Ryerson, with TBA, BTB, all these uh, endeavors that you're uh, a part of? What's going on with you? I'll, I'll say it really simply, and I'll say is this. Right now, I'm committed to TBA, and I'm committed at Ryerson. Now, and I'm planning to be back at TBA, and I'm planning to be back at Ryerson in the, every year. Now, I'd be silly to say if a million-dollar opportunity came up and I didn't take it, right? But it has to be a right opportunity. It has to be the right time. And it has to be the right place. You know, I have aspirations to coach at the very highest level, and um, but I also know what I have in front of me. You know, I have, you know, I'm coaching at a very high level in Canada right now, and I'm happy with that. Amazing. I don't, I don't see if changing unless, you know, a big-time opportunity opens up. Thank you very much for being on the show, Adil. Glad to have you back sometime, man. Hey, pleasure. Would love to come back. Perfect. Thank you very much for listening, guys. You can catch us on SoundCloud, iTunes. We're actually now on TuneIn Radio app as well. Have a fantastic week, and I'll catch you. Bye. 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 Bye.